Okay, John and Thud, today we are continuing our Seven Deadly Sins series, and today's topic is envy. And John, this is this is the one that is, of all the sins on our list, this is the one that is the most miserable, and explain why that is. Well, with some of the other sins we've talked about, I think you could argue that at least there's maybe a, a fleeting moment of pleasure or something redeeming about it. If if you have an outburst of anger, we all know that after it's over, we look back at that and go, man, that was stupid. But but there is something about that that release. <laughs> uh, same with lust. You know, there certainly can be a, a momentary uh, pleasure with, with lust. And so, but there is nothing at all positive about envy. It, it's completely and wholly miserable. And yet it affects so many of us. And I, I would say many of us even like to to wallow in it. Now, you may be listening today to the podcast and think I've I've got this one. And this is not really something that I struggle with. I don't I don't look around at at the things people own around me and get jealous. And and if so, praise God for that. I'm I'm glad that you don't struggle. But I would just say that's only a part of envy. Envy is more than just, you know, stuff. So how do you know if you're struggling with envy? Well, if if you use phrases like, that's not fair, or if only I had, or if you diminish the accomplishments of others, like my, my son and I, we play doubles volleyball together. In fact, we just played in a tournament this last Saturday and and I've made the statement many times, you know, well, if I were six foot seven, maybe I could play professional beach volleyball too. And that's clearly there's envy there. There's jealousy in my life. Thud, I, you know, every time I, a fighter jet flies over my house, I live by an Air Force base. Every time that happens, I just for just a split second, I'm like, how cool would that be to be flying that jet? And then I, I get envious of your lifestyle because you're a fighter pilot, you've gotten to do that all these years. So I, I wonder if a fighter pilot is the one guy who never struggles with envy in his life, right? Because you've got it all, right? Yeah, no, I don't. Actually, I don't know why I'm even on this podcast today. <laughs> Everyone else envies me. And uh, yeah, so I'm done. No, Good, I'm thanks kidding. for your um, contribution. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually, that's, uh, that's funny. Um, no kidding. That's really funny. Cause it, so my wife and I were talking this morning about, uh, she was asking me what podcast we were doing today. And I said, well, envy. And she goes, Oh, that'll be easy. You don't struggle with that. And once again, gentlemen, here we go. Didn't think I'd struggle with something, but I obviously do. And when you look at it and when you see what envy is, it really, um, for me, it's an insidious one. Like several of these have been, it's funny that you said that about um, envying being a fighter pilot. I've heard that many times in my life. Um, but it's funny how the grass is always greener, you know, on the other side. And um, until you find out it's artificial turf, right? So, you know, that's where a lot of times I forget that I am blessed with this career. I am blessed with a childhood dream of mine. And a lot of times I can get caught up. Matter of fact, um, I just had to mute the mic because there were some some airplanes flying over, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, I really wish I was up there right now flying that new." So new airplane is in the pattern, going, "Man, I'd love to fly that thing right now." So yes, I have a wonderful job that God's blessed me with, um, but yes, I deal with this. And for us, you know, talking to my wife, 
when we were early in our careers, we would see others in our squadron. We would see other people around the base. Uh, we were second lieutenants and we wanted to act and buy things like the majors and lieutenant colonels and colonels did. And so we were seeing things they had filling a void in our life, not walking uh, correctly with the Lord. Sometimes I'm not even walking with the Lord and filling those holes with buying things, retail therapy, what we called it. And that led to you know, us shortcutting God's blessings. Once again, like all these sins have done, trying to get things before we, it was our time, trying to outdo our financial blessings, which would led to debt, which led to stress, which led to a loss of a giving spirit. And thankfully, Dave Ramsey came along and taught me that if I live like no one else, that later I can live like no one else and just change the spiritual heart of what I had. And so, but, but yes, envy for me is one of those things that is insidious and um, not glaring. So thanks for letting me be on this podcast today. Well, John, why don't we start with a definite, now that we know that even fighter pilots deal with envy, why don't we define what we're talking about? Here's our working definition for today. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Yeah, that's that's Webster's definition, right? But I, I'd, I'd like to modify this definition for our conversation today to a more biblical perspective and to a definition that I think, honestly, for a Christian at least, is, is more accurately what's going on. So we're, we're going to define envy as this, a feeling of discontent or resentment towards God because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Because that's really what's happening with envy, particularly for the believer. We feel like God has somehow shortchanged us. You know, he, he didn't get it right. We were the ones who were supposed to get the promotion. We were the ones who were supposed to have the house. Uh, we were the ones who were supposed to have the spouse that treats us well, or the children who are always obedient, or even the ability to have children on our timetable. And when those things don't happen, we probably wouldn't say out loud as believers, it's God's fault or we're mad at God. But if we believe him to be sovereign, if we believe him to be the giver of all good things, then really that's what we're saying. So today we're going to look at three steps for dealing with envy in your life. And again, this comes from the really the excellent book by Graham Tom, Tomlin on the seven deadly sins. We'll put a link to it down below. I think he did a really good job explaining this. And we're going we're gonna to talk through these three steps because we want to be practical for the men who are listening out there as you're identifying this in your life that really is a spiritual problem. And it's deadly because I, I love how you altered the definition, John. It really is a problem that you have with God. And I think I think the listeners need to acknowledge that that in in essence you're judging God for something you're missing in your life that someone else has when you envy. So the first step in dealing with it is actually to turn back to the very God who seems to have treated us so badly in the first place. So instead of substituting anger, which is what I think a lot of people do, they substitute anger for envy really be honest about what you're feeling, but be honest with God about it. Yeah, I think it's such an important place to start. We talked last time about how anger is kind of a masking emotion. 
And I do think envy is, is the root emotion that often manifests itself in anger. And anytime we're discontent, again, we're feeling like God has somehow shortchanged us. Maybe he isn't being fair. And I hope to say this as gently as possible to our listeners, but I would just remind you that God is God and we're not. So our sense of justice, our sense of fairness, it's, it's tainted by sin. We have a distorted view of justice and fairness. Like, praise God, he isn't fair. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, if God treated us fairly, uh, it would not go well for us. God is more than fair. Uh, so anytime you notice you're feeling like God has given you the short end of the stick, I would just encourage our listeners to look to the cross. Because when we look to the cross, we see that he is abundantly generous with us. You know, we've already looked at this. I think we've already looked at this passage in Genesis 4, but it, it's worth going back to it, the story of Cain and Abel. And I want to read this a few verses here, and I want our listeners to think about where envy shows up here. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, Genesis 4, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, and Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift now, we don't know why. God doesn't tell us. There's, it's maybe even intentionally left um, unexplained. But what we do know is that this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So the Lord said, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, You, but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, John, this passage identifies anger. So why are we reading it in an Envy podcast? Well, clearly Cain was jealous of his brother. So he, he was jealous that Abel's gift was accepted. And like you pointed out, Brian, we don't know 100% for sure why God chose to accept Abel's and not Cain's. It does say that Abel brought the best portions of his lambs and Cain presented some of his crops. So maybe, maybe that's it. You know, maybe... Cain didn't bring the best, but for whatever reason, God didn't accept it. And in this general confrontation, God tried to help Cain come to the right response. He tried to encourage him that he would be accepted if he did what was right. And you know, we talked about this last time on the Anger Podcast, that sin was crouching at the door. It hadn't come in yet. So up to that point, Cain could have still responded in a right way. He could have responded in a way that, that wasn't sinful so that tells me it's okay to question. We, we can come to God with our questions. We can come to God when things don't make sense. There's a space where we can do that, but we need to do that with humility and faith. And we need to come to God recognizing, God, I, I don't understand why this is happening in my life. It, maybe in my limited perspective, it doesn't seem fair. Help me to understand it, God. But, but in humility and in trust, I know that God is good. I know that I can trust his plans. And so to come out on the other end of that and say, hey, God, I, I, I may not understand it, but I know you're just. I know you are good. And I know, you know I can trust you in that. And I, I've had multiple times in my life where I was going through some sort of, I don't even want to call it a trial, because when I think of the trials that some people have to go through, I'm going to call it an inconvenience. And I have made this comment. Couldn't it be easy just once, God? And, and I've said it in the whiniest, brattiest, most ungrateful voice you can think of. 
And so I went from a question made in humility to a flat out lie because God has made it incredibly easy for me in so many ways in my life. I mean, he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He gave me an incredible wife. My, my kids are respectful and obedient. They're a joy to be around. I'm healthy. I've got an amazing church family. I have it easy in so many ways. And yet at times I have the nerve to ask God if he could make it easy just once. Thankfully, though, in, in those moments, I'll eventually come to my senses. You know, I confess that. I acknowledge that God is so good to me. And because he is so good, you know, he brings forgiveness and, and newness to that. Yeah, John, I can completely relate. There's so many times in, in my life where I just want it, you know, like you said, why can't it be easy this time? And, and then I look around the room and I, I look at all the things I've been blessed with and the 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 family, the health, the financial blessings, uh, the career blessings. And, you know, I think that is the secret to it is having that heart of gratitude and uh, reminding yourself that, hey, I am thankful for what I've been blessed with. You know, we talked about it a couple of times now on the podcast, but we lost our farm to a tornado um, about six months ago. And I remember just prior to the tornado, probably in the fall, thinking, God, thank you so much for this farm. However, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. I don't want to lose this place. Holy cow, how can I hold on to it? And then a couple of months later, we lose it in a, tor- in a, in a, in a tornado. I mean, lost everything. And so, but when we, day one afterward, I mean, within minutes afterwards, God just gave me this piece uh, that has been developed through, several decades of walking with him that that when Paul talks about in Philippians, the, the peace that passes all understanding, he has blessed me with that. We were in a, a rental house uh, a few days later. Our, our in-laws made it through. Our dogs made it through. We got some of our stuff out, and we were truly, truly grateful. And my wife and I were unbelievably grateful. And we just had this heart of gratitude and praise and it's been awesome until about the last two weeks. I'll tell you, we've been dealing with the frustration of trying to rebuild. There's still cleanup going on. And this spirit has been coming in and kind of attacking me and going, hey, we can do it faster. Or here's another house for sale over here. Or I'm watching HGTV constantly going, ooh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done this. Um, and but it goes back to God, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for this hot shower I've got right now. Cause I've had times where I went months without hot showers. Thank you for the air conditioning I have right now in the South. Cause in June and Alabama, you need air conditioning. Thank you for every little breath that you've given me. And then my kids and my granddaughter are great. So it is really easy to get into a spirit, even when you have, initial blessings and gratitude that if you don't keep that up, you know, keep your eyes focused on him and his praise that I find myself falling back into this envy in a heartbeat. You know, some of our listeners might, might have questions about this, turning back to God, you, both of you guys are sharing just vulnerably about your experiences and your emotional life in these areas. So is God okay with that? Is, you know, when we turning back to, to God, and 
kind of working through your envy with God, it, are, can you be honest with him and tell him you're upset? Can you, can you be, can you be vulnerable with God? Again, some less, especially men, some listeners might think, don't I have to, when I, when I think of prayer, I think of uh, the Lord's prayer and everything's buttoned up. Or I think about how my pastor prays at church, but weren't, I think it's important to say we're not talking about that only. We're talking about actually being honest with God and how you feel and and what you're wrestling with and what you're struggling with and how you feel like you've been treated unfairly, right? Isn't that what we're saying, John? Absolutely, and he he already knows it. God is all-knowing. He knows he knows the thoughts you have whether you choose to voice those to him or not. And I think he I mean, he, he longs for our obedience. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. God definitely wants our obedience, but God doesn't just want obedience or else he could have just pre-programmed us to just follow every order, right? God, God wants the relationship. God's described in the Bible as our, as our father and what good father doesn't want to hear from his children. So he invites us to bring those to him. Again, I would just say when we do it, though, we need to bring them in a spirit of humility. Like, God, this really hurts. God, I don't understand it. So help me understand it because because I know your character. I know that I can trust you in this, God. I know that you're good. I know that you're just. So help me process this. You know, help help bring my feelings in line with what I know to be true. And I, I think that's something we've gotten away from as kind of the American church, you know, we put so much emphasis on our feelings. Now, if something doesn't feel right, then all of a sudden we're nervous that maybe it's not true. No, that's, that's not the case at all. God's truth trumps how we feel. And I think we can ask God, God, help bring my feelings in line with what I know to be true from your word. Yeah. I think David is such a good example of this in, in his Psalms. You know, if you read the Psalms, you'll see that David is vulnerable. David is honest David is sometimes, I'll use one of your words, John, David is sometimes whiny toward God. But I, what I love it that he almost always comes back around to, you know, he'll whine for a minute, and then he comes back around to articulating his trust in God. But I think so many men don't have an outlet for their emotions. They don't have an outlet for their, um, to be vulnerable. Maybe some men aren't vulnerable with their wives or they don't have men in their life that they're vulnerable with. And so I think being vulnerable with God is really helpful. Maybe some men, that's just what you're going to hear today. That's what you need for today is learn to be vulnerable with God. Again, don't don't turn your back on God. Turn to God in prayer. Be honest with him, but leave room for him to begin to shape you and change you and reveal himself to you, just like we're hearing from thud and john yeah when you when you guys are talking about that i know it's not biblical but uh i will say this when i think of the the movie forrest gump you know it's, it's for us alabama people it's awesome movie right uh but um you you see the forrest gump and you see lieutenant dan in there and there's a scene where he is he's angry with god he's angry that he he didn't die he's angry about everything and he goes through this period and he, there's one scene where he's he's in the middle of a hurricane and he is just yelling at God. He is he is just becoming completely vulnerable to the Lord and just working it out. And the scene ends or the scene comes back to where you see him peacefully sitting in the water. 
And then at that point, you know, Bubba Gump shrimp takes off and it's an amazing, but so many times in my life, I know there's been times where a couple of, well, probably about two years ago had a problem with, um, just some anxiety and just going, Hey God, just Lord, I don't know what's going on right now, but just help me take this next step. You know, help me get through this. Show me what it is. Show me what it is in my life. I am confused right now. I don't know what's going on. And that vulnerability with the Lord, God knew what I was going to, what I was thinking, but it was therapeutic for me to voice it to him and to get it out. And it blessed me just talking about it with him. Okay. So step one is to do that. I think, again, I think, man, that's such an important step. Turn to God, be honest with him about your envy. Even make a list, list it out. There's something powerful that I, I relate, I can relate to that. I, I was going through a similar thing a few years ago. And so in my prayer time, I would write stuff out. I would actually write it out because I wanted to name it. I wanted to identify it. I wanted to put it out there. And so men, Put it out there. Be honest about why you're jealous, what you're envious of in your world. That's step number step number one. Step number two, and I love this one, John. Step number two is to learn to admire God's gifting in others without comparing them with your gifts. So step two is almost like proactive as you're, you're going to intentionally admire God's gifting in someone else, which is kind of a hard step for people to do. This is the one that was most powerful to me. I remember when we did this this series. I, for whatever reason, God's blessed me, or I'm I'm not very materialistic, and I don't I don't say that with any pride or anything. But I'm I'm just really not. I, I've got a pickup truck that's got two hundred twenty thousand miles on it, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I just don't get hung up on stuff. But man, I envy other people's giftings. Um, not again, God's helping me to grow in this area. I've, I've, I've learned a lot in this area, but even, so I'll just, I mean, this is getting pretty raw here. Like, you know, Brian, man, I was pretty jealous of you in a lot of ways early on when I first met you, because you're good at almost everything. You're, you're a gifted teacher. You can even lead worship. You've got great leadership skills, excellent communicator, just all these things. And I, I remember thinking, man, like, you know, he, he kind of got it all. He got the whole package over there. What's going on? Um, and, and God has totally changed my heart. Not that I don't still believe all those things about you, but God has, God has finally allowed me to come to that place where I know who I am in Christ. So I just say, man, as, as you're listening to this, if you find yourself hung up on being envious of other men's talents or abilities or their position the respect they have in the community, it starts by you recognizing that the God of the universe thinks you are worth coming down and taking on flesh and dying for you. And when you start to understand like how much God really loves you and what your identity is in Christ, it really does kind of make all the rest of that stuff fade away a little bit. And so now, instead of wishing I had someone else's gift, instead of me, you know, wishing I had, you know, your, your teaching ability, Brian, or your ability to lead worship, I can just be grateful. I can be grateful that God has given you all those giftings. I can be grateful that, that we have a senior pastor at our church who is gifted in a lot of areas. I, I can be grateful that I have people at my campus, for example, 
who are good with tech. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I am not a techie guy. I'm kind of a tech dinosaur. And so to know that there are people that God is going to use those giftings in ways to bless our body. And I think it's a shame that so many men never develop the gifts God has given them because they're complaining they don't have a different gift. You know, Thud mentioned that saying the grass is always greener on the other side. And we usually think of that in terms of maybe relationships or, or a career path. But I, I think it's the same with our giftings. What would happen to your gifting if you watered it and fertilized it and weeded it and, and did all these things to develop your gift? Your gift would be just as green as someone else's gifts. It'd be a different gift, but it would be just as powerful for God to use in his kingdom. And so God's really helped me grow a lot in that now, like musical gifts, for example. Um, I haven't sung in public since my wedding. That's the last time I sang a solo in public <laughs> because the time before that I sang in church and like my voice went out on me midway through the song. It was, it was a combination of like, if you run a rocking chair over a cat's tail and a frog croaking, that was the sound that came <laughs> out of my voice. And I was like, never again. And, and for years I was bummed with God about that. Like, why, why don't I have that ability? And now I just celebrate it. I just celebrate that there are people that God has gifted and, and he's going to use them in different ways. He's going to use me. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, Paul, Paul even said it like this. He said, I, I, I mean, he didn't use the word, but basically I celebrate my weakness. I'm, I'm good. I see my weakness as an, an area where God's strength, where God's greatness can be on display. And what a place for Paul to get to, because I'm sure Paul, you know, I, I envision Paul was this really competitive guy. I mean, he in Philippians, he gives that, you know, he lists out his pedigree and, and you can tell he's just one of those like kind of annoying head of the class kind of kind of students. And but but in the course of his life, you could see that God really humbled him. And I love that he humbled him to the point where he had to join up with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. So guys that he would have considered to be nobodies and he joins up with them. And then he famously writes in first Corinthians, he says, this is, this is what God loves to do. He chooses the nobodies. He identity, you know, the people who were nobody, people who were nothing. So I think Paul's a guy that many of us can relate to. He's a guy that had to wrestle through this. I'm sure envy was part of his, part of his journey. He talks about the thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but what was what was it given for? It was given so that it would it would humble him and teach him dependence on God. And so I do think there's something about this second step of of admiring God's gifting in someone else to say it's not about me, it's about it's a it's about God. It's not even about them because it's not you're not admiring the other person. I think that's maybe that's the key for people who are struggling with this step. The key is you're saying it is God's gifting. You know, it's their problem if they think it's their gifting. They're, that's pride. We, we already covered that one. That's going to create all kinds of problem, problems for them. But in the meantime, for you, you can still admire God's gifting in someone, um, that, the gifting that you don't have, but it's really about worshiping God for it and recognizing God's, God's greatness and God's sovereignty and, and I think that's part of what helps us as men to kind of give up control. Because a lot of this is kind of a control thing. God, if I were God, I would have given me those gifts, right? That's really kind of what envy boils down to in many cases. Yeah, you know, I often say um, 
I've never had an original thought in my life. So I, I learned years ago that uh, if I wanted to be successful, I needed to mimic su- successful men and successful leaders. So I've, I've tried throughout my career to take the good and bad that I learned from leadership and the leaders I see, and I try to apply those into my life and try to go, okay, I'm, I can take this from John, I can take this from Brian, I can take this from Mike, and use each one of those little bits to make me a better leader or to make me a better man. And it's funny that, you know, I, I try to do that in a humble way, but it's easy when I watch other people because I'm trying to learn, right? But then I start watching and admiring. It's funny, John, that you said this a minute ago, but because I was going to talk about on the last several podcasts, you know, I'm a new guy to this and I just watch you two. You're so smooth. You're so great. And, you know, and Brian, I, I want to be around you and learn from you because you are that great organizational leader. You do, you're a great communicator. Um, and I admire that. And then I see John, and I go, oh man, that guy is so thoughtful with his words. He's so smooth. He, he communicates it so beautifully that I can understand it so simply. And I start finding myself going, man, I wish I could do that. But I also saw myself that as a fighter pilot. You know, I always com- compare myself to other pilots and I'm an average pilot and I would know that I would never go to what they call a weapon school. And I would always get concerned and I would I'd start to stress on that and I'd worry about that. And then I started looking at, you know, doors that God was opening for me and where he could use my gifts. And to humbly say this, I never thought I would be an organizational leader, but that's how God's made me. I can see things that the big picture that most people can't. I can cut to the the heart of the matter pretty quick where most people can't. But then I see other people that are detail oriented. I wish I could be like that right? But I know that God's made them that way. So together we can cover each other's blind spots and together we can work for God's glory. And oftentimes we, we forget how God made us or we don't want to acknowledge the gifts that God gave us. Cause for years I'm an introvert. I'd never thought I'd be, you know, in serious leadership out in front of people giving speeches constantly, but that's what God has blessed me with. And I've got to be willing to accept that. And each of us have their own giftings. And that's like, like y'all were saying, God made us this way. God does not make mistakes. And we just got to relax in him and realize that, hey, Lord, how do I use the gifts you've blessed me with, your gifts for your kingdom? You know, it's interesting we're even talking about gifting because when I, whenever I think about this, I think about how God, the, the greatest thing, we say this a lot at Pursue God, the greatest thing that any of our listeners could ever do with their lives, you know, Thud, as I hear you talk about being a pilot and being an le- organizational leader, John, your incredible leadership uh, in the ministry world and your giftings, the greatest, in spite of all that, the greatest thing that any listener can do is to disciple somebody. I mean, honestly, that's the greatest thing you can do is to disciple somebody, is to walk with somebody and help them to pursue God. And this is what I love about the kingdom of God is that Jesus comes, he comes to earth on his journey to go to the cross to save us. And he, and he identifies a dozen guys that are below average, I would say, below average. They were fishermen. They were, they were, you know, there was a tax collector mixed in there. So these guys were not 
like the cream of the crop. And I love that about the, about the story of Christianity is, and again, that's what Paul was talking about in first Corinthians. I'm sure he had those guys in mind when he wrote those words, but he, at that point, he even had himself in mind because he realized that his pedigree was nothing. It counted for nothing that, and he had humbled himself to acknowledge that and recognize that. But I love this, that the greatest thing that anyone can do in their life, the greatest thing you can do is to help someone to pursue God, is to walk with someone toward Jesus. And that's not a gifting. That's not about a gifting. That's about a calling. Anyone can do the greatest thing. I love that I love that God doesn't, you know, that when we read Acts and we read the New Testament, that there's not like this pecking order of greatness, right? So he he just says, he says, go make disciples, go make disciples. And the most average person can do it. In fact, the, the most average person is better at it than the than the great, quote unquote, great people, because the, the great people will make it about them. The average people, the humble people are going to make it about Jesus. And that's what disciple making is about. And, and, and so when I, whenever I think about leadership in the church, John, this is what we do in our church is we're, we're looking for people who are just discipling people. Those are the people that we want to then elevate and push into higher levels of leadership because they understand the greatest thing. Because the last thing we want is for people to do what, to do what they think is great instead of what God thinks is great. So it's kind of like the, the equalizer. And I, and I want to say that even to even to parents listening, to dads listening, you know, if, as you're raising your boys and helping them deal with envy, it's interesting that our young men don't mask envy very well. I think older men have learned to mask it, but we still have envy and jealousy behind some of the stuff that we do in as we grow in our careers or don't grow in our careers, right? We We try to keep up with the Joneses more than ever, but it starts as a young man. And so I would encourage dads even to have this conversation with your kids is to help is to teach them. I remember teaching my son when he was in basketball and he hated that there were other kids that were so much better than he was. And, you know, I told him work hard and all that stuff, but I also told him this second step. I said, look, when somebody is better at you, just compliment them, tell them that. Cause otherwise they're going to tell you that. Why don't you tell them that say, man, you're good. I wish I could shoot like you. You are great. Good job. And he started doing that at a young age, and it was a good exercise for him to, again, to admire gifting in someone else, to be the first to say it. And it, it actually freed his heart from that grip in his young life so that it didn't turn into this toxic thing as a, as a man later on in life. But on top of that, I think it's the second thing is I really emphasize to my son I said, the greatest thing you can do in your life isn't to be a great basketball player or the smartest kid in your school or any of that. The greatest thing you can do is to disciple someone. And I modeled that for him. I tried to teach him that. And what I love about that is then that just equalizes the playing field because anyone can make disciples. And, And he's been a disciple maker. And I think it's it's really helped him in this particular area, even at a young age, that he doesn't deal with envy as much as I think he would have. Um, had he not learned that lesson. All right. So anyway, step number one, step number one is to bring it to God instead of turning your back on God. So that's a lot about prayer and being vulnerable. Step number two is, again, it's hard to do, but it's to admire God's gifting in someone else rather than comparing their gifts with your gifts. And then all this leads to step number three. And step number three zooms out even more, John, and it's to 
It's to question the system of values that says we should envy the wealthy, famous, and beautiful. In other words, it's to it's to apply a biblical filter to our thinking in this area rather than applying a worldly filter to it. Yeah, I want to kick this section off with a passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, starting verse 2, says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This is a messianic prophecy. So this is talking about Jesus. And I think at the heart of this last talking point is do we value most what God values most? So take take beauty or the idea of physical attraction, physical perfection, for example. Think of how invested our society is in trying to achieve that. The, the literal billions and billions of dollars that are spent every year trying to hit this target of, of beautiful, which is a moving target, by the way, <laughs> to make you even more depressed. What was beautiful 100 years ago isn't the same thing that's beautiful today. And what's beautiful today probably won't be beautiful 100 years from now. And this just isn't a value to God. Now, the Bible says physical training is of some value. Our body is a temple. We should care for it. Exercise is good. All that's important. But when we become so focused on looking a certain way, that's just not important to God. And more often than not, it distracts us from the things that are important to God when we get stuck in that rut. Brian, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the 12 that he chose and kind of the early church. And there's a there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul reminds the church who God called. Uh, 26 through 29 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Yeah, I, you know, that. remember Paul's the one who wrote that, and whenever I read that, I think about his, his story. And remember, by this time now, he's connected with the disciples, the, the original um, best buddies of Jesus, and he was late to the party because he was a Pharisee. He was he was a guy who was wise. He was a guy who was powerful, and I think he's at least in part talking about his own story. I think he's looking at the disciples, saying, "God chose you guys to shame me," because he was shamed. He what he did realize he was wrong. He had it wrong, and later. Later, Paul says that he's the chief of sinners. So he has this total about face that he recognizes that what he thought was so valuable um, wasn't anymore. And I think it's really interesting, actually, when I, I love that you brought both of these passages together, John, because, you know, the Isaiah passage says that he was talking about Jesus, that there was nothing, nothing to attract us to him. Any, t any picture that you ever see of Jesus. He's a good looking guy with long flowing hippie hair. I personally believe, Thud, and this is for me and you, brother, I personally believe that Jesus is bald. Every time you see pictures of the Apostle Paul, he was bald. 
but Jesus is never bald. So I don't know where we get that from, but I think when I read verses like this, I'm like, I think Jesus probably looked different than we think. In other words, bald is beautiful. This is what I'm coming to here. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Well, I don't agree. I never thought about it that way, but uh, (laughs) it's biblical. uh, It's biblical. Uh, Bald is beautiful. I was going to, you know, I'll talk to you later about how to what you're doing to cut your hair there, uh, Brian. I'm John doesn't have that problem, but you know, you and I do, but uh, that's how God's blessed us. Right. That's funny that you bring that up that I was, uh, I look back on pictures of me when I was 27, 28 years old going, man, that's a great, that's great hair right there. And, uh, I look at guys and go, man, that I wish I had that hair and mine's real thin right now. And it's, it flaps in the wind and it's great and it's awesome. And I, God's definitely using that to keep me humble. Uh, but you know, I've seen this coming my whole life because on my mom's side, the Atkinson family, every man is bald and, uh, I saw it coming. I was, I was, I've been resenting it. I've been putting it off. And, uh, but you know, when I, when I look at those men, I, I, yeah, they're all bald, but man, holy cow, were they, they still are their, their their grandsons now are my age. Um, They're all leaders of men. They were all men of God that love the Lord. And when I think about, I think about that, I think about my grandfather. I don't think of him in ball. I just think about how much love and how he, he, he reflected Jesus into the world. And, you know, it's real easy for me to get caught up on our physical appearance. Right. And uh, because that's what we see, but uh, bald is beautiful. And uh, we know that God made us perfectly, gave us the perfectly shaped heads for, for us to show off our beautiful skulls. Well, it's funny because some some men listening to this might be kind of in that place. Maybe young men, you're in that place that where Thud and I were a few t- 20 years ago, whatever, where we're realizing like it might be coming for us. My, you know, my dad's a bald guy, but I, I, my dad was such a great example in this area that he understood who he was. He just, he understood who he was and he, and that's just one example. Again, this, the envy, envy does include that for some men, it's physical appearance and those sorts of things. And, and I love that my dad modeled for me and for his other, for his, for, for all of his sons, really, he just modeled this, this simple confidence that didn't make it about him. And some of our listeners maybe don't have a model like that in their life. And it really, it really comes back to this, like being willing to question, you know, John, we question this system, the world's values in so many other areas. And rightly so, right? We compare it with, we compare it with scripture and we say, I'm going to, I'm going to elevate what the Bible says is right and wrong. I'm going to elevate the Bible's value system above above the world's value system. But I think maybe sometimes when it comes to wealth and fame and beauty, we don't question the world's system. We, we just accept it and, it. and it does this. It leads to, it leads to envy. It really does. I think of first Timothy six, six, he says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You are a well, I think of your dad, as you just said that, Brian, and I've had several interactions with your dad. He is a wealthy man. 
Now, the world probably wouldn't define him as wealthy. I'm not talking about materialistically, but he, I love that you, he knows who he is. Right? I go back to something I said earlier. When you know who you are in Jesus Christ, when you know that the God of the universe looks at you and he sees you through the perfection of the blood of Jesus, and so he sees you through the righteousness of Jesus, man, it, it takes away all this envy about other stuff that people have or other talents that people have. And in that, in that first Timothy verse, I don't think contentment is just limited to material wealth there. I don't think it's just talking about money. That's part of it. I think it's the overall attitude of being happy with, with who you are, like who God has made you to be, the talents he's given you, the role that he's given you, the responsibilities that he's given you. A content person recognizes that everything they have is from God and God is good. You know, God's plan for my life can be trusted. And so I, I want to honor him by doing the best I can with what he's given me. I don't want to waste time and energy whining about what I don't have. And there's no enjoyment in it. It's like we said at the beginning, this is the most miserable of all these sins because there's nothing redeeming about it. And I bet every one of us can picture someone in our lives, that, that man or that woman, who has lived a bitter, ungrateful life. Holy cow, what a, what a sad existence that is. So let, let's take pleasure in who God is. Let's take pleasure in what he's done for us. Let's take pleasure in who he's created us to be and what he can do for us. Because when we do that, right, right, Christianity is not about elevating people. Christianity is about elevating God. We're in God's story. He's, he's not in our story. He's the central figure. And when we get that part right in our mind, it, it sure leads to, a, to the type of life where Jesus said, I've come to bring you life that's abundant and full, right? Jesus said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. It's, it's not easy to live the Christian life. So what did he mean by that? I think part of what he meant is that when we know who we are in God's eyes through the blood of Jesus Christ, it, it's a very easy burden. It's a very, uh, I'll just say, pleasurable life to live. Yeah, you know, Brian, you and I have talked before about where do you find your identity? And I think what John's what I heard John saying right there is when we find when we get in alignment with God and when we when we see how God designed us, life becomes like you said pleasurable. We start to see success, we start to see things, we start to see the kingdom growing. We start to think outside of ourselves. And that's, that's how God designed us, all of us to be that way, is to, he wants, he is love and he wants to fill our hearts with love. And when we start loving on others and working for others and putting others before ourselves, man, that just love just fills your heart. And a lot of that is, you know, getting in alignment with how God made you and accepting that. Um, envy is such as for me, again, such a sinister, such a, um, a for me a, a nuisance sin, I guess you should say. But when we see how God, we can relax in God, going who, where do we find our identity? My life relaxes. I relax. My stress goes down. And so, learning, you know, learning what you're designed to do, what your giftings are, you guys. If you haven't done this before, have people pray with you. If you don't know what your giftings are reach out to other men, reach out to men who are, who've been there, who can help you and point out 
where your strengths and weaknesses are and then learn from that. And then once we do that, we start to learn how we're designed. So I'm, I'm thinking about uh, recently I've been flying uh, the new F-35 and I hear guys complain constantly that it doesn't turn like an F-16. Ah, it doesn't have the the speed of an F-22 or, and you hear this complaints and this envy of other s- systems. And you know, it was always messaged that the F-35 was going to replace the F-16 and the A-10 and the F-15. And so guys started thinking what well, should do all these things. But recently a four-star general asked the question to the commander saying, Hey, are we using the F-35 the way it was designed to be used? Or are we putting our old thoughts and habits of other airplanes on this airplane. And so what he was trying to say is, are we using the airplane the way it was designed to be used? And the question, the answer is no, we're not because we're trying to live in the past or we're comparing it to other airplanes. Just like you wouldn't compare a Corvette to a Tacoma to a dump truck. I mean, if you try to drive a dump truck like a Corvette, it's going to end up wrong, right? And I think for me in my life, when I tried to, be things that I wasn't, try to use talents that I don't have to try to do things that outside of God's will, I flip my dump truck, right? And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we in alignment with God's will according to the way he designed us? And be confident in that. And be confident that I'm going to be a bald man, but be confident that that's the way the Lord made me. Well, that's the... The Deadly Sin of Envy. And if you want to talk about this one or any of any of the other seven deadly sins that we've been covering on this podcast, you can find all of it at PursueGod.org forward slash men. Make sure to join us next time as we continue the series.